You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, we have been taking a break from the book of Luke for a six-week series, uh, asking the question, how can we be the kind of people that help bring heaven to earth? Uh, and we did that for six weeks after Easter, and now we are back into the book of Luke. And so we took a break, but we're back. Now, you probably don't remember where we stopped in the book of Luke, but we stopped uh, at Luke chapter 17, believe it or not, on a teaching where Jesus teaches about the kingdom. Uh, because that's like what he primarily teaches about in the book of Luke. And so today we're in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 8. So if you have your copy of scripture, you can grab it and turn to Luke 18. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, a couple summers ago, my wife's family was in Pullman. Uh, we were doing a bunch of home projects and yard work, and it was hot outside. And uh, it came time for our daughter, we, we only had one daughter at that time, to take a nap. And so she takes a nap, and we were kind of tired of working, and, and we, had, we needed some space. Thank you. We needed some space to, uh, to just be hanging out uh, and resting a little, so we decided to watch a movie on Netflix. And so it was just me and my father-in-law watching uh, or picking what movie to watch on Netflix, uh, which is a very precarious situation because... Um, there are a lot of inappropriate movies in the world, and you don't know what's coming. And so to watch a movie with your father-in-law, uh, just a word to the wise, like always pick Pixar movies if you're watching a movie with the father of your wife, okay? Uh, but we decided we're going we're gonna to explore Netflix for a little bit, and we land on a movie uh, called Machine Gun Preacher, uh, which, you know me, I'm like, I'm a preacher. I, my views on machine guns are secondary, to, but this, this concept seems interesting, uh, and it's a story, uh, it's a, actually a real-life story of a guy named Sam Childer, who was a biker, who goes to prison, becomes a Christian, comes out, and becomes a pastor, uh, and th this is the story, and so I'm like, okay, we should watch this. Uh, the movie's rated R, which uh, you should probably never watch rated R movies with your father-in-law, e even The Passion of the Christ that's rated R. I would say probably don't even watch that with your father-in-law, it gets a little weird. Uh, so we're watching Machine Gun Preacher, and like 10 minutes into the movie, this brother gets out of jail, and something very inappropriate happens. And you're like awkwardly with father-in-law watching um, a rated R scene. And so um, I'm disclosing too much information, but stay with me. This does have a point, I promise. And so he uh, becomes a pastor, gets baptized, becomes a pastor, and uh, he is watching TV one day. And he sees there is a need in Africa to go and serve orphans. And so uh, he is really burdened by this. He is affected by this. And so he goes to Africa and he starts uh, serving with orphans. And he realizes they are in danger from rebel uh, forces, rebel soldiers that are perpetually trying to take kids. It's a terrible story. And so he wants to leverage his life to bring about change in that place. And it's beautiful. It's profound. You should absolutely do that. Uh, but what happens in the movie is his preaching at the church uh, really becomes one-dimensional. Here, here's what I mean. At the beginning when he preaches, he preaches about Jesus and salvation and hope. And towards the end, he is obsessed. And the only thing he preaches about is this particular place in Africa with this particular mission that's going on there. And all the money that the church brings in goes there. And all of his time is away from the church going there. And he is obsessed with this one specific thing. And to some degree, you're like, hey, man, I'm not even sure this is about Jesus anymore. 
This is kind of about you and your thing. And so uh, there is a temptation in so many churches for, uh, for them to get really narrowly focused and one-dimensional going, this is the thing we do and this is the only thing we do. And they overemphasize stuff at the cost of other things. And so sometimes uh, what happens, e- even in terms of heresy, is that someone or some, some group of people decide to radically overemphasize something at the cost of everything else. And so this guy does that in the movie and it affects everything in the life of the church. And so if you're fairly new to Resonate, you might think to yourself, we do the same thing in regard to church planting and mission and preaching. Uh, go share the gospel, go do this. And so here, here's, here's the fork in the road for us again. We, we feel like we say this every week. Um, we are coming to you as your pastors and leaders, looking at the Bible saying, we believe Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God like machine gun preacher obsessed with the kingdom of God. Like every time Jesus got to preach, he brings up the kingdom of God. And so somehow, some way, his mission, his purpose, his, his goal in the world was to bring about the kingdom here on earth that would ultimately come to fruition when, when the world comes to an end. And, and he is obsessed with his bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Therefore, everything we teach must have that lens on it. And so today when we look at Luke chapter 18, we have to approach all of scripture under the understanding that Jesus was overarchingly teaching one thing. And that one thing is that he is the true king and he is seeking to redeem a true people that will live under his reign. And this kind of people have to see him for the kind of king he is and respond that way. And so if, if you were to say Jesus is the machine gun preacher of the kingdom, then I, I think he's right. It, And under the banner of the kingdom, we should absolutely go and serve in orphanages and bring about the kingdom in that place. But it's a broader overarching story that we find ourselves in in Luke chapter 18. And today, in light of the kingdom, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. In light of the kingdom, he's teaching us how to pray and he uses a parable. So in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, he's talking to his disciples right after he just taught on the kingdom. And he says this to them, verse, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. You should underline that part in your Bible, that they should always pray and not give up. And he said to them, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. But for some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So this really powerful judge is afraid that this small little widow lady is going to attack him. Maybe she's not a small widow. This is just a made up story. It's a parable, but he's afraid she's going to attack her. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? And will he keep putting them off? I tell you, uh, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Therefore, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we have Jesus giving us a parable on the kind of prayer he wants his people to participate in and the posture he wants them to have. And so the word prayer in the Greek is two words combined. It's the word pros and the word uche. So prosuche is the word prayer in the Greek. And it comes up 127 times in the New Testament. 127 times we are introduced to prosuche, the prayer uh, word that is used when, when Jesus teaches, when Paul teaches, and Peter and James and all the others. And it's the word pros, 
which means close, up front, intimate contact. The, the best description is the word face-to-face. Pros means getting face-to-face. And then uche means a wish, a desire, a vow, a sacrifice, a surrender. And so really what this comes down to being is prayer is coming face-to-face with God and exchanging with him vows and surrender and and information and intimate conversation. It's coming face to face with him, conveying a message to him intentionally. And so these verses are giving us a parable on the way that we should go to God in prayer. But before we get into these verses, I want to remind us broadly, there's 127 times that prayer is taught in the Bible. Let me broadly remind us of the way we should approach prayer theologically. Here's what I mean. Uh, This particular prayer is about persistency. Our parable is about persistency and passion. But broadly, we need to be reminded of the foundational truths of what prayer is. And we learned this a a few chapters earlier when Jesus taught the model prayer. And so here's a theology of prayer that should start off uh, all of our prayer conversations. Uh, Number one, when when you hear Jesus talking about prayer, he has this, uh, this Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, is is the beginning of the model prayer. So the beginning of our prayers should come, come along like this. Father, cause your name to be praised and revered and honored and seen as glorious. And God, may that be so and may that start in my heart. So that is the beginning of the model prayer life. Father, may your name be seen as holy and may it be seen as holy in my heart. And may it be seen as holy in my life. And and once you get that posture figured out, then it leads to this next part, which is God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So once you get your heart part figured out, you go, Father, would you bring the kingdom into this world? Would you, would you cause things to happen in this world that, that would look more like you? Would you bring your kingdom crashing into my life, into my neighborhood? And would you use me to make that happen? And so that your name may be glorified. So that's the, the foundational posture that Jesus has towards prayer. And so here's what we have to understand right as we get into this, that Jesus modeled a prayer life that was radically God-centered and God-exalting. Jesus modeled a prayer life that was radically God-centered and God-exalting. And secondarily, Jesus modeled a prayer life that was kingdom-focused. So a kingdom-focused prayer life that is radically God-centered and God-exalting is the foundational truths of what prayer should be pursued as, as we get into this teaching, knowing that that's the foundation. And then secondarily, I think this is so beautiful, and this might encourage you. Um, In the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Prayer, this is a metaphor, but prayer is said to be put in bowls. That they put prayer in bowls. This is a metaphor. And in the bowls, you have all these prayers. And the Bible says that the aroma of the prayers in that bowl are a pleasing aroma to God. So in other words, if you are praying, if you are crying out to God, then the metaphor in the book of Revelation is that prayer is going into a bowl that is bringing God pleasure. The smell of that prayer is pleasing to God. In other words, every single prayer you pray is not wasted. It is a gift. It is precious to God. And so it's, it's metaphorically in a bowl giving God uh, a sweet smell. I don't know the last time you ate something that smelled sweet, but God's like, yeah, bring that on, man. I love this chicken gumbo. Yeah, this is great. And so... Weird illustration, but it'll stick with you now. Next time you open the pot at mom's house and the, the aroma just hits you, you're like, that's my prayer life in God's nostrils. <laughs> Think about it. Gumbo was the first thought I had. I don't even know if you, 
if you're down with gumbo or not, but whatever your thing is. But students, it can't be like spaghetti, okay? That's, that's no. Better than that. Secondarily, this bowl that has our prayers in it, God is going to take this bowl, and the Bible says that one day that he is going to, this bowl is going to be overturned, and all of the prayers that are in this bowl are going to flood the earth, ultimately bringing apart the consummation of all things. So that's just for fun. If you go, what are my prayers doing? They're being put into a bowl, metaphorically, that aromas go to God and please him. And one day this bowl is going to fill up and is going to be a part of the, the, the causation, the causality of the kingdom finally coming to this world. So in, in some, our prayers put together are giving God praise and pleasure and ultimately bringing about his purposes in this world. Prayer is a staggeringly glorious privilege a staggeringly glorious privilege. I will share with you the most staggering verse when it comes to prayer. A staggering truth is Jesus' little brother James says in James chapter four, verse two, that you do not have because you do not ask. You have not because you ask not. In other words, in God's unbelievable wisdom and sovereignty, he has somehow wrapped the world in a way that you and I can pray to him and bring about things into being in this world that would not have been brought about had we not prayed. One more time. His sovereign, brilliant wisdom has put into motion an opportunity for us to join him in the work of bringing about things in this world that would not have happened had we not asked them to happen. He gives us the ability to participate in causality that we can cause things into being, we can speak things into being, we can say things. James chapter five, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The King James Version says, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. You can availeth much by speaking things into being. He has offered us that privilege. He has given us that responsibility that there are things in this world that are not happening that you can speak to and you can make happen. And that is a massive privilege and a massive responsibility that immediately makes, sure, makes us make sure that we have the right posture to take on this responsibility. So in light of that theological framework of what God is doing, your name being made known in my heart, God, your kingdom come in this world. And now because of that posture, I want to bring about change through my prayer life. This, this sends us into the, what I call the two prerequisites for prayer. And the first one you, you may or may not like. Because when I was reading about this, I was like, man, that, that's a tough one. Um, and here it is. Number one, prayer is for disciples who are in the battle of advancing the kingdom. Prayer is for disciples who are in the battle of advancing the kingdom. So to say it harshly, prayer is not for people who are not interested in advancing the kingdom. You, you read in the New Testament, who the teaching is to is to disciples. What are the disciples doing? They're bringing about disciple making in the kingdom. You, you talk about causality, that we can speak things into being through prayer. And, and that has got to be our hearts aligned with his heart. And so there are many prayer meetings I have been a part of, many prayer meetings that maybe you have been a part of if you have church background, that had very little interest in the kingdom of God and very little interest in disciple making. And I think prayer is one of those things that have for far too long has been seen as a ritual and, and as a uh, good luck charm or as a fingers crossed or as a pray before a football game that our team wins or whatever. But listen, I don't know what to call all that. 
I don't have a word for that because that seems a little harsh to call that non-prayer. Uh, maybe chanting to make yourself feel good or sending out thoughts and prayers and hopes and dreams. That is not really what Jesus has offered us. He has offered us a gift as we go about bringing his kingdom to this world. John Piper uh, famously said that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare. A wartime walkie-talkie. It is not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. It is a wartime walkie-talkie. I am in the middle of the battle and I need to speak to my commanding officer about what to do in this scenario. I need help from afar. I am in trouble that I cannot overcome on my own. We need things to happen that I cannot make happen. There is an obvious discrepancy to what I am capable of doing and what needs to be done. And this gap needs to be filled with prayer, with God doing something on our behalf that we could not do on our own. It is a walkie-talkie, not an intercom. There's a video that went viral recently of a guy in Walmart who could not get help at Walmart, so he grabbed the intercom behind a desk at Walmart and said, I don't know if anybody works here, but I need some help in sporting goods. <laughs> and it went viral, and I don't, I don't even know if he got help, but ultimately grabbed the intercom and said, I'm alone out here. Does anybody care? Somebody unlocked this. <laughs> I don't even know what he was shopping for. But somebody come unlock this case so I can get what I want. And I, I look at that video and I go, that, that's not prayer. But so many people treat that like prayer. Like, hey, I'm at the end of my rope. Does anybody work here? Can anybody help me? That, that, that's not the posture of the disciple. The disciple's posture is, hey, I am desperately dependent on you, God, to do something I can't do. And I am woven into your mission trying to make things happen in this world that I can't make happen. And so, God, I want to speak to you in a posture of wartime mentality, not a posture of comfort to me and my friends. So many people in this world are praying their own will and asking God to bless it. God, this is what I want. Would you bless it? God, this is what I want. Would you bless it? And Jesus is going, that's not the posture for my disciples. My disciples have a gift called prayer as they go about advancing the kingdom. As I go into my workplace, as I go into this place, as I go into that place, I can talk to God as I go about advancing the kingdom. So therefore, if that's true, then the second thing is that a disciple's prayer life should have an unrelenting focus on God's glory. A disciple's prayer life should have an unrelenting focus on God's glory. Our primary posture towards prayer is for us to seek God's will, to seek his kingdom, and to seek his name to be known. And let, let me say this to you really, really honestly. Um, do you know that God's motivation to answer your prayers is not your sake, but his sake? One more time, did you know that God's motivation to answer your prayers is for his name's sake and his glory, not your namesake and your glory? If he is answering your prayers, that is a way by which he can do what the model prayer always said he wanted to do, which was to make his name look more holy, to make his name look more glorious, to make his name seem more famous in this world, to advance his kingdom in this world. So all the things that he does in answering our prayer comes from a motivation for his name to be known more. Why should his name be known more? Because he is a glorious, rightful king that is worthy of the praise of all the world. And so for his name to be known more is actually for your joy. His motivation to answer your prayers is so that his name would be made no more, and that should be great comfort to us as believers. 
But so many of us, again, our temptation is to believe that God exists for our glory, not we exist for his glory. And so this is what our prayer should look like. This is a God glorification prayer. God, heal me if, through healing me, your name would be known more and your kingdom would come into this world and be advanced more. God, give me this promotion if, through giving me this promotion, I could be in a new place to bring you more glory and your kingdom could be advanced more. God, give me that job across the state if, when I get there, I can bring you glory, I can advance your kingdom, I can show your name to be holy. God, let me do this if. But God, if keeping me from being healed and, and crushing me like gravel in the dirt allows your name to get more glory and for you to be made known more and your kingdom to advance more, then God, crush me like gravel into the dirt. Because God, I know a day is coming when there is no sickness. And I know a day is coming when I will be eternally healed. So my time on this earth is primarily postured for your glory, for your name, not my glory and my name. And so when you start to pray like that, you understand that prayers for disciples, not just fun things that people do when they're in trouble. But that should be our posture in prayer. So again, in light of all that, fast forward to Luke 18. And Luke 18 verse 1 says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable for what? to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In light of all that I just said, Jesus knows that to be true. He, he understands prayer better than any of us. And he says, I need my disciples to understand they should pray and not give up. They have to get, don't give up. They have to persistence. They have to understand this. So in order for them to understand this, he tells us a, uh, a parable of a widow banging on the door of a judge. A widow, a, a, a culturally powerless, outcasted person in that society has someone coming against her, an adversary, and she is powerless to do anything about this adversary. So she goes to one who has more power, this judge, and bangs on the door of his house, of his courtroom, of the office, wherever, banging on the door, so much so he doesn't even like her, doesn't even care about her, but he ultimately grants her justice because she bothers him. She bothers him. And that's the story Jesus chooses to tell so that we can make sure that we do not pray and give up. Is a woman who bothers a judge, a powerless woman who bothers a powerful judge to get what she needs. I don't know if you see this to be normal or how you land on this, but for me, this, this is a fascinating angle that Jesus takes. Because I have two kids, and one of those kids, uh, we'll call her Harper, because uh, that's her name, um, is very, very verbal. A very verbal child with an unbelievable ironclad memory of any little thing we ever say we're going to do. And she has recently been on this kick of repeating herself to the hundredth degree about anything. Dad, can I get this? 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 Harper, you just have to ask me once. Like, my hearing's okay. 
Dad, put down your phone. I have a question for you. Okay, fair enough. I'll put down. Dad, can I watch Cinderella? Dad, can I watch Cinderella? Dad, you said I could watch Cinderella. Dad, three weeks ago, you told me on May 21st I could watch Cinderella. And I have not forgotten. It is on my little calendar. And today's May 21st. Can we watch Cinderella? Dad, can we watch Cinderella? Dad, can we watch Cinderella? Dad, can we watch Cinderella? Harper, I'm trying to make coffee. I don't care about coffee. Can we watch Cinderella? Finally, to the point where I'm like, listen, if you ask me one more time, I am going to throw the television away. You will never watch another show in your life. And tonight, you will go out and we will put Cinderella in the fire pit and we will make s'mores on the flames of Cinderella. If you ask me again, you are driving me crazy. And then you get down on a little level and you say, listen to me, babe, the strategy to get things from me is to not bother me. You are bothering me. Stop bothering me. I heard you the first time. You'll have it eventually. Leave me alone, little girl, is essentially my parenting strategy in dealing with an onslaught of requests. I want to be left alone. That's, that's my strategy. But in this parable, Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, disciples persist in prayer because God enjoys being bothered. Disciples should bang on the door of the judge because this story is really not about a judge and it's not about a powerless widow. This story is about a son and a daughter of a father who is not a punitive judge. God is a beloved father and there's an openness and a familiarity to him and an approachability to him. And Jesus looks at his disciples and say, I want you guys to get something crystal clear. You are never bothering God, ever. Bring it on repetitiously day after day from when you wake up to late at night, bring it on. And God says, that is good aroma to me. I am not uh, frustrated by you. I'm not annoyed by you. I'm not bothered by you. Bring it on. I enjoy being bothered. I don't know your parents' situation. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but if you had the parent who didn't like to be bothered, then your prayer life is radically affected by that reality. And Jesus says, let's get something really clear. I don't know what your parents were like, but let me tell you about my father. He loves it. He loves talking to his children. He loves engaging with his children. He is a, a beloved father who postures his ear towards his children. If, if I have to tell you a story about a widow banging on the door of a judge to get you to understand the reality that God wants to be bothered because here's the great secret, it doesn't bother him to be bothered. He enjoys being bothered. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus gave us this parable because so few disciples actually bothered to bother God that most of our prayer lives are Hail Mary prayers or, or really small prayers or they're not disciplined prayers. And so, prayers. so Jesus goes, let me tell you a story of a woman who banged on the door day and night and tell you that's what God wants. That's what he desires from us. He wants a relationship with us and access to us where he is not bothered by us. He is blessed by us. He is grateful for us. He likes it. Some of you, the reason you don't pray is because you don't believe that to be true. You think God is frustrated with you or not interested in you or he doesn't have time for you because your parents live that way? That is fundamentally incorrect and unbiblical. And Jesus says, go to him. 
bang on the door. He's not a punitive judge. He's a loving father. He will not throw your Cinderella DVD into a fire pit at all. He will put it in the DVD player and he will watch it with you. He will make the popcorn. He wants to be bothered. Do not let your earthly relationships affect a disciple's relationship to their father. Bother me. And that is true because in bothering God, something really beautiful happens in our heart. And it's the second point. The disciples persist in prayer because it's faith building. It's a God-given discipline. To persist in prayer is faith building. And it's a discipline. So God knows that a, a strategy towards transforming us into the likeness of Christ is the opportunity to endure in prayer. That, that the way that by which he can transform us into Christ and to grow into the character of Christ and to grow into the likeness of Christ is to get us to pray about something for a long period of time. Because that builds trust, that builds familiarity, that builds union, that builds hope, that builds so many things inside of us. So do you want to increase your belief in God? Ask God to do something that it's gonna take a long time for him to do. And then commit to be disciplined, to ask him day after day, morning by evening, every single day, you are banging on the door of heaven for the same thing and watch that your character is transformed along the way. Watch how your faith is built along the way. But again, so many believers, if they don't have their prayer answered after a certain period of time, they lose faith instead of growing faith. The whole point of waiting, that God would make you wait to answer a prayer so that your faith would be built, not that your faith would decrease. But so often we look at the opportunity to pray for a long period of time and we go, God must have forgot about me. I guess I'm bothering him now, so I'm going to quit praying. And somehow our faith decreases when the whole, uh, the whole system was set up so that our faith would increase through the process. But oftentimes we bail on this. And usually it's because of fear that he's not for us or he's not interested in praying or answering our prayers. I don't, I don't know if you're like me in this, but every single night when I go to bed, I, I tell my wife this, every single night when I go to bed, I am immediately confronted. Like when the, my head hits the pillow, I have two major fears and anxieties that I feel every single night. I still can't shake them. One of them is about our family and one of them is about our church. And I, my head hits the pillow and I am just wrecked with the fear and the anxiety of knowing that something needs to happen that I can't make happen. Something needs to happen that I can't make happen. And in that moment, I have two choices. I can be beat up by the fear that I have and the anxiety that I have, or I can build my faith. I can get beat up by fear, or I can build my faith. And so as I was going into this text this week, I, I, I put my head down on my pillow and the same things came to my head, uh, fear of my family, fear in the church. And I heard the Lord say, hey, when are you going to talk to me about that? When are you going to come face to face with me and start banging on the door of heaven about these things? When are you going to seek my glory in this? When are you going to let me build your faith in light of this? Engage me in this. When that anxiety comes, engage God. Don't just look at your phone and, and avoid it. Engage it and let God build your faith through persisting in prayer. Let him build your faith. Because something beautiful happens when you start really praying is you get reminded of all the times God's provided for you in the past. And that just builds your faith to trust him and ask him for more in the future. That's what happens over and over as you recognize that prayer is a faith building exercise. 
Okay, number one, disciples persist in prayer because God enjoys being bothered. Number two, disciples persist in prayer because it's faith building and it's a God-given discipline. And then lastly, disciples, and this, this, is a, this is a harder one, but disciples fail in prayer because they give up too soon. So in this story, the widow doesn't fail because she doesn't give up. And so again, many of us give up too soon because we feel like God doesn't answer our prayer. Listen, as clearly as I can say this, it is not failure for God to not answer your prayer. It is failure for you to quit asking God to answer your prayer. It is not a failure if you are persistently praying and God is not answering. It is a failure if you quit persistently praying because you think God is not answering. Jesus' point in this prayer parable is to get us to persist and never stop. Never stop praying. Sure, you may be going through a season that feels hopeless, where you feel helpless, where you feel like, I can't make this happen, nothing's gonna change. I've been asking God for a long time. But listen, do not give up in prayer. That's the point of this parable. And Jesus told them a parable. Why? So they would pray and not give up. So the point of this parable is so that we would pray and not give up. But do you believe that? Do you believe that you can bang on the door of heaven and a father is on the other side of that door who is willing to join you in causing things to happen that would not have happened had you not asked? Do you believe that? Secondarily, do you believe that you are in a spiritual battle that cannot be won by human accomplishments, that cannot be won by self-sufficiency, that cannot be won by getting stronger and smarter and better and more secure or making more money or making more friends? Do you understand that there are some spiritual things that are happening that you are powerless to overcome? Do you realize that the only response you have to that powerlessness is invoking the power of prayer and banging on the door of heaven and asking God to move? Do you believe that there is an obvious discrepancy between what you have been called to and what you are capable of? That there is a massive discrepancy in what you are capable of doing and what God has called you to do. Make his name known in the world, bring about his kingdom, raise a family, have relationships that are God glorifying, all of the massive amount of things that God has called you to. What you are capable of and what God has called you to is a massive discrepancy. Do you realize that that gap must be filled with kingdom-focused prayers? Engaging God to move on your behalf in ways you could not move. Because at the end of the day, I cannot motivate you to pray through a speech. You have to be motivated to pray by an unrelenting need in your heart, a felt need, an emotive need that primarily recognizes how unbelievably inadequate you and I are to accomplish what we've been called to. When you feel that inadequacy, you cry out to God in prayer. So again, do you believe that you are inadequate? Do you believe that we are in a spiritual battle? Do you believe that you and your family are under uh, an attack of an enemy? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, then you'll start to pray. So here's been, here's been my prayer for us, um, that God would save us from the self-sufficient mentality of the church. And that God would save us from the self-sufficient mentality of my life. 
that God, my life is fine. I get up in the morning, I live in a fine apartment or a house or whatever, and I go to work or I go to school and I'm self-sufficient. Oh, and at the end of the day, yeah, I forgot. Oh yeah, God, you're like really important to me. Let me pray. God, would you save us from that self-sufficient mentality? Or in our church, God, we're so talented in our church. Like our people are so great. Our greeters are the best. Everyone's gonna feel welcomed. Our coffee's good, you know, sometimes. And you know, we have like the best music, like, you know, sometimes and the preacher's good, like sometimes. And you know, like as long as we're self-sufficient, we can really make this thing go. God, save us from the self-sufficient mentality of our lives and our church. God put in us a more heightened awareness of our radical inadequacies. And if you could put in us the heightened understanding of how ridiculous it is that we think we can pull this thing off, then God, somehow we would emotively respond and turn to you by persistently and persevering and banging on the door of heaven, asking you to do things that we could not do. Do we believe that? Because I, I, I think the vision in our church is amazing. I think the people in our church is amazing. I think what God has done in our church is amazing. But I think the continual underlying reality that we feel as leaders is that the future is not so much concerned about whether or not we can accomplish some stuff. The future is concerned primarily about whether or not we can pray some things into being. I don't think the future is so much so about can, do we have the people to accomplish stuff? I think the future is do we have the prayer life to accomplish stuff? Do we truly operate in our bones with the understanding that the greatest hindrance in the church today may be, may be the people of God attempting to do the work of God apart from the spirit of God? Do we really understand that that might be the thing that we as the people of God are attempting to do the work of God without crying out for the work of the Spirit of God. And so my hope for us is that we would see what Jesus offers in this parable and that we would, we would feel that need in our hearts and we would recognize, God, you have asked us to pray some things into being that are not happening. And Jesus closes out this parable by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? And so I wanna close this sermon asking, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith in our church? Will he find faith in our lives? Will he find us banging on the door of heaven with the kind of prayers that make his name to be seen as holy, his name to be seen as glorious, and his kingdom to come in this world, his kingdom to come in our families, and our home? Will he find that kind of faith in our church? If last week Jesus answered every one of your prayers about someone who in your life doesn't know him, how many people would become Christians based on your prayer life last week? Just last week, you go, because I prayed and spoke something into being, this is what happened. Last month, how many things would happen because you have gone to the door of heaven and banged asking God to do something? You have prayed, you have not because you ask not. So the question is, church, are you asking? Are you asking in faith? Are you asking God? We are behind in, in a giving campaign. Are we asking God to provide miraculously for us? 
We are behind in, in some stories of seeing conversions in our church. Are we asking God to move mightily in the lives of the people around us who do not know him? We, we, are, we are radically insufficient in, in planting four churches next year, then four the next year, then five the next year. Are we asking God to raise up a generation of leaders who are going to go and to do and lead those churches and provide the money to make all that happen? You have not because you ask not. If he came to our church, would he find faith? Do you feel the need to pray without ceasing? Do you feel the need to plead with God to make things happen that couldn't happen? Do you remember Jesus going into the temple and flipping over all the tables? What does he scream out? My house will be called a house of prayer. That in my house, people ask. People plead with me. People ask for things to make my name known, to bring my kingdom to this world. So Resonate Church, are we an asking church? Because our God is looking for an asking people who pray and do not stop. So I hope that you feel a father looking to you today and saying, ask me, bother me, plead with me. Let me build your faith. Let me grow you. You want to be transformed? Come and speak to me. Get face to face with me and let's talk about this. And the more we do that, the more we will experience the glorious supernatural reality of the Holy Spirit working in our midst. So may we be a church of prayer and may we be an asking people, believing in faith that we have not because we ask not. And may we pray and not stop so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So I wanna pray that we be those kind of people even now. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we, we come to you this morning and we say thank you for the gift of prayer. It is a gift given to disciples. It, it is a, a wartime walkie-talkie that allows us to communicate with you our need. And so God, I pray that we would leverage that gift. That God, inside of every one of us, you would increase the felt need for prayer. God, you would increase our felt need for prayer. And God, I pray in every one of us, you would give us a desire to be disciplined in prayer. And God, I pray where we are not praying, you would convict us and we would repent. God, I, I personally, I, I repent of my prayerlessness. God, I, I repent of the fear and the anxiety that grips me every night because I don't pray. And God, I, I repent of thinking that I can do this on my own or that, that our family can do this on our own or their church can do stuff on our own. God, I, I repent of self-sufficiency. God, would you stir up inside of our church a of repentance for prayerlessness, for all the time we waste looking at our phones and looking on the internet. God, we are a wasteful generation. God, God, save us from spending all of our time seeking the approval of others instead of coming to you and asking for you to do things we can't do, asking for you to move. God, I pray that you would awaken in the, in the depths of our heart, 
a recognition of the beauty of prayer and the power of prayer. That we who were once alienated from God have been rescued and brought and adopted and made to be sons and daughters of the king and now we have been given the gift of prayer. And God, we're not using it. I'm not using it. So Father, we repent. And we thank you for a story of a widow banging on the door of a judge that reminds us of who we're called to be. So Father, give us a passion to pray. And may it never be said of Resonate Church that those people don't pray. May it be said of us that we are a praying people because we know that what you've called us to demands it. So God, may that be so. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.